welcome to Creekside. Uh, we have a great morning today. We look forward to uh, hearing from our young people. They're going to be singing some songs for us uh, in just a couple minutes. So you want to make sure you come in, come inside, come grab a spot to sit so you don't miss out on that. Uh, we're going to sing uh, one song together before that. But before we do that, let's just uh, let's bow our heads. Let's commit our morning to the Lord today. Father, we just are grateful. We thank you. We praise you for the gift of life we have in Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the opportunity to meet together as the body of Christ, as your church, called out, redeemed, uh, rescued from darkness. We just pray that uh, this morning you would fill our hearts with worship and praise and adoration. In your name we pray. Amen. Of the Lord today, we won't be quiet. We 
shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. We won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in Quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. We shout out your praise. Oh, oh. All right. Great to have everyone here this morning. You can go ahead, have a seat, and uh, as the kids are coming up, uh, just a quick reminder that Rod, uh, Rod wanted to make sure we got out there was that Thursday morning Thanksgiving Bowl nine o'clock at Creekside for those who would like to come out and join that so uh, just turn your attention up here to these kids and we look forward to hearing from them Good morning, Creekside. When Jesus came to earth, it was to bring salvation to the hopeless. In Luke 4:18, he declares, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, and to set at liberty them that are bruised and to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. When Jesus left this earth, he left his disciples with what we refer to as the Great Commission. The command was, to, it was given to go into the world and make disciples. The world around us is in desperate need. People need a reason to be thankful. People need a reason to hope. People need the Lord.
as we celebrate this week of Thanksgiving, it would also be good for us to remember. Remember what the world was like in the 400 years of silence before the Lord was sent. Let's remember what it is like in a life before the light of the gospel shines into the darkness. The word of God tells us to spread the good news to those who dwell in darkness and who live in the land where death casts its shadow. A bright light has shined in the dark world. This is the supreme reason for thankfulness. Jesus has made a way to forgiveness and freedom. His death provided a way to have a relationship with God. Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the 
Thanks be on. Oh. <laughs> Sorry. Thanks be unto God for his indescribable gift. And all the people said, Amen. Well, I would say, maybe I've said it before, if that didn't light your fire, you have wet wood. All right, so uh, I think that's a, a blessing. Those who are involved in Sunday school, uh, you are dismissed at this time. So you can make your way to the back, young people, and somebody will make sure that you're uh, directed in the right place to go to, to Sunday school. Thank you, uh, praise team, and thank you for Generation Jesus for leading us in worship this morning and for all that that took. Uh, we have uh, a lot of things going on today, but uh, I don't even know where... Uh, there they are. Ryan and Mary, can you come on up here, please? Uh, we're going to be saying see you later uh, to uh, a young couple that... Uh, uh, um, if I can get through this, be uh, we're going to miss them a lot. Uh, we really don't know, get to know Mary that well, but uh, we are uh, very grateful for him. So I'm just going to pray for him and uh, ask the Lord's blessing. What? Okay, I'll come down here. Yes, thank you. Uh, let's pray, Father. Um, I just pray for this young couple. I thank you for their love for you, their love for each other, uh, their testimony, their service. Uh, their commitment to follow you and to surrender their lives and their will and their ways and their work and all that they are to you. I pray for your rich blessing on them as they embark in this new uh, phase of their lives. We don't know what you have in store, but we know that you are the one who has it in store and you're in charge of it. And so we commit them into your hands, praying for your rich blessing and for your goodness and your grace. And may the peace of God and uh, the grace of God and the love of God go with them and be with them and abide with them now and forever, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Lord bless you. Uh, yeah, going to miss them. 
but uh, they'll come back and uh, Montreal is not that far away so uh, you can uh, uh, let them know you're coming though before you uh, just uh, show up on their doorstep so I'd like to ask you to pray with me if you would as we uh, prepare to worship through the study of your word great God in heaven uh, we have been listening uh, to the mission that you've called us to and to the, the way that you introduced that mission and the commission that you've given to us. Uh, and I pray now that as we begin to explore more fully all the riches uh, that are available to those who are in your family, those to whom you came and you did come to save, and I pray that we would grasp it more fully, that we would be able to understand it more completely, and that it would work to transform our lives more fully. Um, Father, I pray uh, this passage of Scripture is a gold mine that can only begun to be mined, and the depths of it can only begin to be scratched the surface of and I pray that you would work powerfully by your spirit to accomplish what only you can for your glory and for the gain of your kingdom. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, the Iowa State Cyclones and the Iowa Hawkeye football teams have not done so well this year. Uh, I know Iowa won yesterday, so good on them, but... Uh, hasn't been a very great season for, for these teams. Uh, and it, it's not because they didn't have a, a lack of preparation, but there's really not a lot to celebrate. You know, there's, a, there's no, no fanfare, not a lot of uh, oh, kudos to whoever praise to so-and-so and so-and-so. Uh, and, and that's uh, understandable because they didn't do very well. As we consider what Paul has to say to his team, God's team, uh, in uh, the book of Ephesians, He's, uh, he's got some things he's been telling us, uh, you know, he's spent, spent the first three chapters of the entire book, for the most part, uh, preparing the team for the game of life, the game of uh, God's game, and uh, we're going to kind of transition or make that transition, but he's driven home some things. Uh, Paul has tried to drive home the fundamentals of who we are as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ our identity, and all the blessings of what it means to be on God's team. We've thought about it. You've thought about our redemption, that he purchased us from the slave market of sin and brought us into his, his kingdom. Forgiveness of sin. And none of us deserves that. The salvation that he's made available to us that results in inheritance, a salvation by grace through faith plus nothing in Christ. Nothing we deserve, Nothing we can do to earn it, and nothing we can do to deserve it. And that inheritance, and then God's power working in us, and a power that unites former enemies to become allies and members of the same family. And these are pretty mind-boggling truths that Paul has laid out before us. And those glorious realities provide the foundation for us to engage, for them, the, the, the church at Ephesus and all in Asia Minor, to engage in a world that's hostile to God and God's people. And that's what he's been articulating to us. And so as God's team, the church of Jesus Christ, uh, now 
he wants to, to make this transition as we transition from who it is we are in Christ, that's chapters 1 through 3, to now how we're supposed to play the game. You know, the first part of it is just uh, strategy. The first part of it is theology and doctrine and identifying who we are. We're the team, God's team, and now get out on the playing field and play the game. As he makes that transition, we have this passage, this glorious passage of prayer that Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 21, that intends, I think, uh, to, to, to show us uh, passionate prayer to, to ground us and to root us and to anchor us in who we are in Jesus and all of the resources that we have in Jesus so that we can go out and live a life that reflects who we are in a way that brings God glory. And so if you have your Bibles, I, I want you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3. In verses 14 through 21, and if you don't have a Bible, there should be one in one of the seats in front of you somewhere, underneath the seat in front of you, or you can pull up it on your phone or whatever you have, your device. And then we're going to look at three parts of Paul's prayer this morning in verses 14 through 21 of chapter 3 that reveal God's desire for His body, and when I say His body, the church, okay, the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, to know His love fully. And then to grow into full maturity in Christ. What does it mean to be a child of God? So that we can ultimately uh, give Him praise and bring glory and praise and honor to Him. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. And we're gonna, I'm going I'm to uh, read the text here and we'll, so you can follow along in, in your Bible. I'm New, New American Standard is what I'm uh, reading from. Um, beginning with the verse 14. For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Man, a better prayer was never uttered. Now, there have been some good ones, and there's probably as good of ones, but a better one has never been uttered. And this morning, we're going to break it down into three sections, and we look, first of all, at the prompting. What prompted this prayer? The prompting in prayer is the reality of the Lord's body, the body of Jesus Christ. There's two considerations that I see in the text that expose that Christ's church was the motivation for his prayer. First of all, we look at our reason for prayer. What is Paul doing? He says here, verse 14, for this reason. Now look at chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason. Now if you remember last week I said Paul interrupted his prayer in chapter 3 
beginning in verse 2 with the section 2 through 13. That was an interruption. So now he's coming back to the prayer that he began in chapter 3, verse 1. For this reason, picks up where he left off and points us back to all that he's been saying in the first three chapters of the book, but particularly verses 11 through 22 in chapter 2. And he's talking about this, this amazing unifying reality, the mystery that he's just been laying out for us in chapter 3, 12 through 13, the mystery that God has made a way for Jews and Gentiles alike to be reconciled to God, and that alone through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's for this reason, for this reason that God in Christ has reconciled us into one body through the cross as fellow citizens of God's household, who are then being built up together into a, a dwelling of God, the holy temple of God. That's chapters, chapter 2, 11 through 22. You can look back and see, because uh, I picked those phrases particularly from that section. Uh, this past week, uh, some of you heard about the fact that the, uh, the ruler of Ukraine, Vladimir Zelensky, said that the Russians had bombed a, a, a place in Poland and that had killed some people. And that got everybody all crazy because we thought we were going to enter into World War III. Well, he, he, it caused panic and, and proliferated all this commentary from the news people. Well, it was the mystery of the gospel that prompted Paul's prayer. It prompted him that, that salvation by grace through faith plus nothing for Jews and Gentiles. This is a radical concept. It's crazy. Now, for you, you're sitting there going, well, I don't know, it's not so radical to me because you talk about it every Sunday. Well, that's good because it is, but it's a reality that God would save us by grace through faith anybody, the Jews particularly, but that he would also include the Gentiles whom the Jews considered to be less than important and, and very, very unimportant. And so here Paul was, he understood, he understood that only God's power, only the power of God that would redeem a lost humanity would, would, would be the same power that would enable that group of people who came together as the body of Christ to live victoriously in the world that was hostile. He prayed that God's church then and now would grasp and grow in who we are in Jesus. That's the reason. The resource of the prayer is he said, bow my knees. He was on his knees. Uh, it wasn't typical for Jews to pray on their knees. They usually prayed standing up. But he got down on his knees. Why? Because, uh, well, it doesn't say in the text there are a couple of reasons why you would get down on your knees. First of all, to show your deference, show your humble submission to someone in authority. And superiority. We see this in Psalm 95, verse 6. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker. For He is our God. Let us kneel before the Lord because He's God. And then it would be not just because we were humbly submissive, but because we were intensely passionate about what we were praying. We see this in Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, Jesus went into the garden and he got down on his knees and he pled with the Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. The point here is that Paul was intensely personal and intensely, intensely passionate in his prayer for these believers. He was after it. And the prayer that he passionately prayed for the fellow believers, he bows before 
the Father. Now, I understand that for some, that's not a very uh, fashionable or endearing thing, but he bowed before the Father, the supreme God of the universe, sovereign creator. And look at chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 2 uh, it says, Grace and peace from God the Father. Verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father. Okay, you can go on in chapter 1 and verse 17, in chapter 2, verse 18. He, all through Ephesians, he's talking about the Father. Not only is it acknowledging the supremacy and sovereign creator of the universe, but it's an endearing term. It's a term of affection. It's a term of intimacy. It's his, his Father and our Father if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's the one who chose us before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons. He's the one who redeemed us and called us and saved us and rescued us. He's the one who brought us into his family. He doesn't think lightly of his children. Our Father, he prayed to God, the one who is caring and loving and gracious and kind with whom, to whom we can come without fear, without fear and without shame. And then the text says, describing this father, the, the one from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. The God who created all things, this is chapter 3, verse 9. You look up chapter 3, verse 9. God who created all things, okay, has the authority over all of life. Every living created being in heaven and on earth is under his control. The Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. Um, who has a pet? Does the pet have a name? Who gave the pet the name? You did. Uh, young people like to name their cars. What kind of a thing is that? Like, oh, Black Betty, uh, uh, you know, uh, Bernie, whatever. I don't know. You name your name your car. So some people are naming their cars. Some people name their pets. Some people, well, actually, all of us who have children, we named our children. Because we have authority, because we're responsible for them, we do it, okay? We name them. So the one who names everything is God, and he has authority. And so that's the one to whom Paul is appealing, okay? Adam named every created being in the garden, right? God brought them all to him and named him, showing his authority, showing his absolute. So this is the one to whom Paul prays, the one who has every family in heaven and earth, includes all of the created beings in heaven, good and bad. Now, it's a theme all the way through Ephesians, these heavenly beings. We see it in chapter 1, uh, verse 21. We saw it in chapter 3, verse 10. In order that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known in the, through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. 
So God named them. They're, they're, they're his. We all see it again in chapter 6. Every family on earth is every single people group that was created by God and under his authority. Now, so in the, that sense, he's the father, the one who created all these things, and he names all these things, but only the spiritual father of those who are the children of his through faith in Christ. That's John chapter 1, 12. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the children of God. And look in John chapter 17, uh, verse 3, I think it is. This is eternal life, that you might know me and the only true God who has sent me. Okay, that's my paraphrase. That's not exactly the, the way it's written. And we saw it in chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 2. You're the saints, and this is our Father, the Father of the saints, the believers, okay? So this is the one to whom he's praying. And this is the one before whom we can come with bold and confident access. We saw that in chapter 3, verse 12, right? We come boldly to our Father. So we come not without, without shame, without fear. We can come boldly and with confidence to our Father. And Paul models that for us. Um, big flap these days over uh, Twitter. Elon Musk, the richest man in the world, bought Twitter. Okay, and guess what? People who are on Twitter are communicating to the new boss how things ought to ha- what ought to happen, how things ought to be done, what needs to happen next, and they're communicating with the boss, the one who can actually do something about it. Well, Paul went to the boss, the only one who has the power to do anything. And he models the truth of chapter 3, verse 12, coming with boldness and confidence before the throne of grace to the only one who can help the whole building grow up into all the fullness of Christ who is the head, chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. So that's the the prompting of his prayer. Now we're going to get into the meat of his prayer, the petition. And the petition in prayer is, is our maturity. Uh, that's my summary of it. There's a whole lot there, okay? Now, the, what we see in the text is several interrelated requests that each build upon each other. So as we walk through the text, look for this word, that, T-H-A-T, that, that, that. And each time you see a that, it's another layer that's being stacked upon and stacked upon and stacked upon. And those form the requests until we finally culminate with with the, the final fullness of God in us, which is maturity. First request is for our spiritual empowerment. Verse 16, that he would grant you. That introduces the first request, that he would grant you spiritual power. Okay, according to the riches of his glory, where glory, I'm going to say, is not only, but here I think particularly focuses on his power, okay, his power. Colossians chapter 1, uh, verse 11 says, strengthen with power according to his glorious might, okay, and it's a, it's a similar idea, the power of God, that he would strengthen you according to the riches of his glory, that this, this, this power, okay? He requested that their experience of power would be in relationship to, and remember, in, in according to, means in relationship to. 
So as, as much power as God has, he's going to ask him to be strengthened with some of that. Uh, last week, there were 400, I, I read, I don't know if this is accurate, 400 private jets that flew into Saudi Arabia. 400 private jets. Those, those jets represent, uh, uh, they came according to the wealth of their owners, okay? I mean, that wasn't all their wealth, that was just part of their wealth, and they, they had private jets to bring it in. Believers have a glimpse of the riches of the glory of Christ, of His power, in chapters 1 through 3. The riches of His power called us, redeemed us, and forgave us, and brought us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and brought us into the same spiritual family. That's chapters 1 through 3. Paul's prayer is, uh, is actually kind of mind-blowing. That he would grant you, according to the riches of his power, well, how much power does God have? So according to that, which is limitless, it's infinite, inexhaustible, you'd be strengthened. <laughs> okay, I can do it. I, I'm down with that. Uh, according to God's power, I get a little bit. According to his power. Not, not even just out of it, just according to it. In relationship to it. Strengthened means that, that, that he says that you might be strengthened. That's a passive term. That's not something I do. That's something that is done to me, to you, if you're a child of God. Uh, several years ago, I, was, uh, I can't even remember what the malady I had was, but the doctor prescribed a medral dose pack, which is uh, prednisone. Okay? And uh, uh, man, uh, was I strengthened. I mean, I was on this prednisone stuff, and it's like, I'm up at 2 in the morning, just typing away. My mind is just working clear as a bell. I'm just like, woo, do, 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 do. And, you know, and, and with all kinds of energy, uh, that, that doesn't happen normally. That's my wife, not me. Okay? It's like, I was strengthened from an outside source. And that's what Paul's talking about. You strengthen with power. This is the Greek word from which we get our English word dynamite. We're dynamos. You're going you're to be strengthened and with dynamite. Paul asks that we might be strengthened to live out of the riches that we have already received in Christ. Uh, Elon Musk, I mentioned earlier, uh, the dude is the, the richest man in the world, but he's sleeping on a cot at Twitter headquarters, or maybe some form of a you know, bed. I mean, he could be living in what one of his many, many most plush places, but he's, he's not. He's not living and realizing the full resources of all that he has, but Paul is praying that you and I, if we know Jesus, would realize and be blessed and strengthened out of all of the riches that Christ has, that we'd realize it and live in it. But sadly, we don't. Sadly, we don't. We often live in spiritual poverty because we're relying on our own resources. Well, I don't know if I have the strength to do this. I don't know if I have the wisdom to do this. I don't know if I have the ability to get up here and sing and, and play music and do this in front of all these people because I don't have it. Well, no, you don't. But God does. And we're, 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 we're faced with a culture that's hostile to Christianity. We're faced 
with difficulties in our own personal lives. We're, we're faced with tribulations and challenges that we rely upon our own meager resources to handle. We don't have to. We're, rather than being powered by the riches of God's power that are ours in Christ, God's power that strengthens us comes how? Look at the text. Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in every believer. So we have the resources available to us through the Spirit. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. If you are trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we have that Spirit. And it's a Spirit that works where? I'm in the Bible here. In our inner man. Okay? In our internal being. I want you to look at Romans chapter 8. Uh, a few verses here. Uh, for those who are in accord with the flesh set their minds on the images, the things of the flesh. But those who are in accord with the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If you're here this morning, in person or online, and you are trusting in Jesus Christ and His death alone as the payment for your sin, you are in the Spirit. The Spirit of God dwells in you, okay? In the Spirit is life and peace. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. But if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, which He does if you're a child of God, but if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Him. All that to say that if you know Jesus, you have the Spirit of God. And it's the Spirit of God that does what? Strengthens us with all power according to the riches of God's power. So the Spirit brings to bear the power of God in the life of the child of God. Union with Christ, coupled with the power of the Spirit, produces the inner strength that enables us to, to stand firm in this chaotic and corrupt world. Otherwise, we're toast. It's like, I don't know about you, but you read all that's happening in the world, and you kind of go, whew. I don't know how everybody else handles it. Well, they, they're just, you know, it's banking on the stock market rising. They're just banking on, you know, that we don't have some blow up of nuclear war in, in Europe. And I, I don't wish for, you know, any bad things to happen. But that's not my hope. That's not our hope in Christ. It's the Spirit of God that produces. Paul talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says the outer man is decaying. The older you get, the more you realize that. Um, but is the second part true of us? But the inner man that Paul's talking about here is being renewed day by day. That our spirit is being nurtured and nourished by the Spirit of God that is giving us this strength and empowering us by, according to God's glorious riches. Paul's passionate and purposeful prayer is for the spiritual health of believers. And this is not the only place he prays it. I am fascinated by Paul's Commitment to pray for fellow believers that they would grow and mature in, in, in Christ. We saw it in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. We see it here in verses 14 through 21. We see it in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and following. We see it in Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. We see it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12. We see it in lots of places where Paul prays. Spiritual strengthening of our inner man... Now, this is the, the, the progression. The spiritual strengthening of inner man leads to, results in what? Christ's dwelling within us. That's verse 17. Notice, so that, 
There it is, circle it, that. So that the strengthening of our spirit by God's power enables, provides, leads to, results in, is for the purpose of Christ dwelling within us. Stop right there. Who's he talking to? Believers. In whom Christ already dwells. Christ dwells in them. Christ is not absent. Uh, John 14, 23. Uh, Jesus said this. He said, uh, do we have John 14, 23? No? Okay. Um, I do. I have a Bible. In John 14, 23, Jesus says this. If anyone loves me, he will keep my, my word and my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Okay. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 27, uh, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5, all of these passages talk about Christ in you. Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. If you know Jesus, you know, you have Christ in you. So what is he talking about here? <laughs> Christ is going to come to dwell in those in whom he already dwells. You see the dilemma? Christ dwell in you. Because you've been strengthened with power, Christ will dwell in you. Well, I, my understanding is, this is what I'm positing to you, to dwell, it doesn't just mean that Christ is present within us. It doesn't just mean that Christ is prominent within us. It means that Christ is preeminent within us. The issue here is not whether Christ is home. The question is whether Christ is at home. In our hearts. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says he cannot be fully at home. Until he is allowed to dwell in our hearts. Through the continuing faith. That trusts him to exercise his lordship. Over every aspect of our lives. As we yield our lives completely to Christ. In every area. Our life becomes more controlled by him. And he feels at home. Oh this is, this is good. This is good. He's home in every child of God, but he's not at home in the heart of every child of God. And that's what Paul is praying, that being strengthened spiritually leads to the dwelling of Christ in us fully. His preeminence is part of who we are. And then that enables us to comprehend Christ's love fully. Look at 17, the end of verse 17. And that you being rooted and grounded in love. What do roots do? What are roots for? Nutrients. What else? Stability. Okay, maybe other stuff, but those are the two that I want. So being rooted and grounded in love. Stabilized and, nutri and, and, and uh, nourished. Okay. Almost created a new word there. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what the word was because it didn't come out. But it was, it was in the process, okay? Stabilized and, and nourished by love, okay? That's what he's talking about. Spiritually anchored in God's love shown to us in Christ. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but might have everlasting life. And that is the love in which we are rooted. From which we draw our nutrients and from which we gain our stability. Okay? In 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11. By this, the love of God was revealed to us, in us, that God has sent his only son into the world so that we may live through him. If you don't know Jesus, you're dead. Spiritually. Well, you may be breathing, there may be brain waves, but you're dead spiritually. Live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son as a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice for our sin so that we could be forgiven and have new life. This is the love in which we're to be grounded and rooted. If the Spirit of God is strengthening us and the, and the Son of God dwells within us, then we are grounded in this love, nurtured and strengthened. And if you don't know Jesus... I want you to know him and put your trust in him so that you can experience this rooting and grounding and trusting in him today. The more we allow Christ to reign supreme in our lives, I mean, is exercising his lordship over every area, the more we allow that to happen, the deeper we're rooted in his love and grounded so that there's no gale force. Uh, winds of the cultural opposition or, or personal tragedy that you might experience or relational dif difficulty or doctrinal heresy that you're exposed to is going to shake you off course because you're rooted in, in the love of Christ in, in our lives because we're convinced that we are set, secure, and safe in Christ's love. Um, and that we have all the nourishment we need. Think about it. Uh, the U.S. Congress is going to pass. I'm just, it's a prophecy. Only I'm not a prophet. I'm just kind of joking about that. But the U.S. Congress is going to pass a law that codifies same-sex marriage. And the law that they're going to pass that codifies same-sex marriage will result in the fact that this church will lose our tax-exempt status. And other churches and other organizations will lose their tax-exempt status. We will pay, and there will be other persecutions that, that come as a result of it. And in order to withstand the gale force winds against us in this culture, barring some miracle of God, which he could do, uh, that's going to happen, we're rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. I, I, I'm not going anywhere. Romans chapter 8, verse 35, 37, and 39 tells us, who will separate us from the love of Christ, in which we're rooted and grounded? Will tribulation or trouble or persecution or a law, I added that, or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, but in all these things we are overwhelmingly conquered through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come, neither height nor depth, oh, I've heard that language before, nor any other creature will separate us from the love of God uh, that is in Christ Jesus. My anchor grips and holds the solid rock. And I'm rooted and grounded in Christ if I know Jesus. And guess what? If I'm rooted and grounded in Christ, 
then uh, I have this security that is my inner strength, my source of inner strength, but God's love that nourishes and stabilizes us spiritually is also the love in which we show to the world. That's what these young people were singing about up here and playing. If it's in my heart and I'm grounded in it, then that's what I'm going to share. And so the love of Christ is not just some feeling, that, that a warm fuzzy, that I feel warm and fuzzy because Christ loved me. That's true, but it is more than that. It is the power in me to love and sacrifice as Christ loved. As those rooted and grounded in love, then the text goes on. We're able to comprehend with all the saints. I like that. Every believer. Uh, how many of you saw the eclipse uh, a couple of weeks ago, a week ago? Okay, come on, raise your hands. Saw, saw the so you guys are in a brotherhood or sisterhood, right? So you can get together and talk about how cool it was and neat it was and all this stuff, and the rest of us kind of going, okay, take your word for it. Like, so you got a connection here. And so we'd be rooted and grounded. We'd be able to comprehend with all the saints. All of us together can grasp the, the love of God because we're part of the brotherhood of, of Christ. We know it together personally. And he prays that all believers anchored in God's love will apprehend God's love fully. The breadth and the length and the height and the depth of Christ's love. All four dimensions to communicate the vastness and the fullness of God's love that he prays that they, that they would grasp. And then he says, and to know, which I think all of those phrases go with this, to know the love of Christ, the vastness and the fullness of, of Christ's love, his lavish and limitless love, so that we not only be grounded in it, but that we would be consumed by it. We'd know its fullness in, in, our, in our lives. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, uh, 5, uh, verse 14 and 15, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. Just think about that for a while. Christ's love to us controls us. Ooh, sounds like being rooted and grounded. Sounds like being able to comprehend the depth and breadth and length and height and what is, and to know the love of Christ controls us. Having considered this, and what he's now he's describing the love of Christ, that one died for all. All who did not deserve it. None deserved it. None earned it. And he died. That those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Uh, I took organic chemistry in college. Didn't comprehend a thing of it. Passed it. I even got a decent grade. No, nothing. You know, it's, it's nothing. The love of Christ. And think about this. To know the love of Christ, which is unknowable. That's what the text says. To comprehend the incomprehensible love of Christ. What is that? Because it's not naturally, humanly possible to grasp the love of Christ and the love of God fully. But it is, through the power of the Spirit, possible for those who are children of God. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 
verses 12 through 13. Now we are not, have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Huh, I think we saw that, right? The spirit who dwells within us is the one who strengthens us with power according to God's power to give us that strengthening who is from God so that we may know Know the things freely given to us by God. We also speak these things not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. For who has known the mind of the Lord that He would instruct Him? But we have the mind of Christ. To be able to comprehend the incomprehensible love of God. And this spiritual empowerment, we see the progression, the spiritual empowerment that enables the indwelling of of Christ, the preeminence of Christ in my life, so that I can fully comprehend the love of God culminates in something that is absolutely mind-blowing. And I've labeled it euphemistically, kind of like boringly, uh, our complete maturity, okay? But read verse 19, end of the verse, and notice the word that, circle it, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. When was the last time you thought, as a believer, that you could be filled up to all the fullness of God? What in the world? The fullness of God. To possess all that God is and to have all that God has. Uh, I mean, to the degree that God desires for you and me and as what is possible in our human reality, our human flesh, to have all that. And so it's being filled with God. But if you fill, if I took a cup, which I thought about doing, but it takes too much time. So I fill this cup with water, right? So where is the air? It's gone. So we're filled up to the fullness of God, all, that he, all of who God is and all that God has for us. And guess what's gone? Us. Self. Wow. Can you imagine what the church of Jesus Christ would be like if we were all filled up to the fullness of God with understanding and living out God's mercy? and God's grace, and God's wisdom, and God's patience, and God's kindness, and God's compassion, and God's sensitivity, and God's discernment in our lives, and no self. Man, what would your marriage be like? What would your relationship with your parents be like? What would your relationship with your siblings be like? It's mind-blowing. J. Wilbur Chapman talks about this. He said, uh, he, he said, he tells a story about this beggar. This guy was begging on the streets. For 18 years, he'd been a beggar. And he went up to a guy in the city one time, tapped him on the shoulder and says, Sir, can I borrow it? Can you give me a dime? The man turned around and it was his father who had been looking for him for 18 years. And the father gave him everything he had. Filled up to all the fullness of God. It's just mind-blogging. The person of God in us. Mercy and compassion and grace and kindness. 
Not just the person of God, but the passions of God for the lost and the hurting and the caring and the priorities of God in us would dominate our existence. And what's fascinating to me is take your Bible, if you have a Bible. If you don't, you might have trouble with your phone, okay? Look at one, chapter 1, verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ, who fills all in all, the fullness of his body, okay? Now you see the passage we have in front of us, to the fullness, end of verse 19, you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. Okay? Look at verse 13 in chapter 4. Until we attain to the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine, but be Filled with the Spirit. God wants us full. Full of Him. Totally surrendered. Totally yielded. So that we are walking around as mature men. In chapter 4 we get into this. uh, No longer tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of doctrine. But that we are mature people in Christ. Paul's passionate prayer for the church's experience of God's incomprehensible and inexhaustible blessings comes to a climax in verses 20 and 21. I think it's still part of the prayer, but it's it's, it's even more of the transition from chapters 1 through 3 to chapter 4. And there's two ways that we see the purpose for prayer is God's glory. What prompted his prayer is this Enigma of the body of Christ and all that we are in Christ. The petition in prayer was the fullness of God in us for His glory, which is the purpose. So this prayer concludes with verses 20 and 21, but it also concludes all of chapters 1 through 3. So we see, first of all, our God's power is extolled. Now to Him... (laughs) To who? To whom? It's a doxology, which means glory. You You see this in the end of Romans chapter 16, verse 25. Now to him, now to him. And then the progression. So we saw the progression in the the body of the content of his prayer. That, 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 that leads to that, that. Spiritual strengthening leads to Christ indwelling, which leads to knowing His love fully, which leads to our being filled up with Jesus, with God. Now we see it again. That, 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 not that, but this is it. God is able. It means He has the capacity, okay, to accomplish something. I didn't have the capacity to understand organic chemistry, okay, I had the capacity to study it, pass a test, but not to understand it. God is able. Now, what is God able? God is able to do. Um, When I go to uh, a grieving family, I can pray. I can be silent. I can read scripture. I can give a hug. 
but I can't take away their pain. I can do only what I can do. God is able to do, and then what? What's he able to do? Exceedingly abundantly. I love the way Paul trips over his uh, superlatives, you know. The surpassing greatness of God's power, you know, he talks about. And now here, he's able to do exceedingly abundantly. <laughs> Extravagance. Excessiveness. When I was in high school, uh, when I was a kid growing up, we went to the, the local uh, dairy shop. We didn't have Dairy Queens, didn't have DQs. It was all, you know, mom and pop shops, whatever. Maybe they had DQs, not in our small town. So we timed it so that we would go to the ice cream shop when Julie Olson was working. Because when Julie was working, she knew us and she liked us. And whenever we got an ice cream cone, a twist, ice cream cone, chocolate, and it was filled exceedingly abundantly. So we went to Julie. The text says, now to him, God, who is able able to do, able to do exceedingly abundantly, and then get this, exceedingly abundantly above or beyond all that you could ever ask or even think. I was just reading this morning my devotions in uh, Jeremiah chapter 32. Ah, Lord God, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power. Nothing is impossible with you. You know what we just read? That according to the riches of His glory, He'd be strengthened with power through His Spirit in the, inner, in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts, that He would be at home in our hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. God is able to do it. I mean, it's like, no problem. And beyond what I could ever ask or think. So what are you praying? What am I praying? Are we praying for, for hardened souls who are, seem impervious to the gospel? If you're single, are you praying for your spouse? You're praying for a medical miracle. We're praying for revival in this country. God is able to mature us like Paul prayed and to do. You're praying for a, a youth pastor at Creekside Church? And we did. And some doubted. No problem for God. No problem. It just blows my mind. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I don't, I don't pray. And I think, whoa, it's even more than I could ever ask or even think about. And this is according to the power. I love that. See that all through the, according to the power that works within us. What's that power? He talked about it in chapter 1. It's the power of the risen and reigning Christ. Who feels all in all. Which is just another way of saying limitless power. There is no power. It's, it's, and this is the power that, that 
enables us to mature and enables us to carry out ministry. This is what Paul said at the end of Colossians chapter 1. And we proclaim him, Christ, admonishing, Colossians 1, 28 and 29. And we proclaim him, admonishing every man and instructing every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ. And he says, and we do this according to his power which works mightily within us. I don't know about you, but sometimes I don't feel like the power of God is working mightily within me. But he can. And he wants to. And he will. He is able to work in us and in us and for us and through us. In us and for us and through us to accomplish his will. And why is that? Our God's person is to be exalted. To Him, to Him, to Him. This is verse 21. It's not a song. To Him, this is God. To Him, our sovereign creator, be glory in the church. Our identity in Christ brings Him glory. Lost souls headed for hell, redeemed by the grace of God and brought into a, a family of God of misfit toys, you know? Just look at it. You know, it's like, we don't belong together. Only in Christ. To His glory. And then in our ministry that God works in and through us to His glory. It's to His glory and His glory alone. And then in Christ and Christ came to earth. He died. He rose again. He's reigning for God's glory. This is John chapter 17, verse 4. Okay? And he glorifies God in all of that. Uh, remember First John, or John chapter 1. And we, we beheld his glory. Glories of the only begotten of the Father. Full of grace and truth. Christ came in glory to reveal the glory. In Hebrews chapter 1. He's the exact representation of his In all generations, forever and ever, means just what it says. <laughs> Amen. Confirms it. It's a done deal. It's a done deal. And that's the power that he wants in us, living through us, for his glory. That's who we are, church. We're his children. And he wants us fully for us. And I challenge you to pray this prayer for your family. To pray this prayer for this family. Is that not what we want to see happen in the church of Jesus Christ? To be filled to all the fullness of God for His glory. And now as we take time to break this bread, we don't break it, we drink it, we take it. And, and, and to drink the cup. We remember the basis for which we can claim these truths is the body of Christ broken and the blood of Christ shed so that we can be to the praise of His glory. Let's pray. Father, take these truths and wash over our souls with them. God, we pray for Your glory. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ that you would grant us 
according to the riches of your glory to be strengthened with power through your spirit in our inner man so that Christ may dwell preeminently within us. Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith and that we, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all comprehension, surpasses, all, surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled up to all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name I pray. We're going to take a moment, just confess your sins to the Lord, remember what Jesus has done for us. What a great, mighty love that we can never comprehend. What a privilege we have this morning. Uh, if you don't know this song, that's okay. Just listen and reflect. from my guilt and shame stepped into the world you made on the cross of Calvary you gave your life to set me free forever I will sing your name hands high heart full of to rest behind the stone but death would not have final say Jesus you rose from the grave standing in your victory your spirit is alive in me forever I will sing your I heart full of praise, heart full of praise. After all is said and done, after every I will see my Savior's face, hands high, heart full of praise. For you are crowned the King of kings, you are robed in majesty, forever I will sing your 
We're going to sing a final song together. Um, we invite uh, you to bow your head and give thanks for the offering. Father, what a, what a tremendous uh, thought that as high and as great, as wide and as deep as your love is, you call us into that. Um, and you call us to be rooted and grounded and filled, uh, filled to the overflow with the fullness of God. We, we confess it, it seems uh, unbelievable. It seems like something that is too high, too lofty. But Father, we just ask that you would open our eyes. Um, Lord, help us to pray uh, prayers of, of great expectation, uh, prayers uh, reaching uh, toward the promises that you have given us in Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Your mercy rains from heaven like confetti at a wedding, and I am celebrating in the downpour. Your heart is wild with color like a never-ending summer. My soul cries out, holy, holy, my heart is lost in your beauty. All hope is found in your mercy. You paid the price, now I am finally free. So God's the anchor that's holding me forever. Come trouble or high water, I am steadfast. You lift me when I'm sinking, like the swell of mighty oceans. The power of redemption, it gives me wings to soar. My soul cries out, holy, holy, my heart is lost in your beauty, all hope is found in your before him like the rusting leaves of autumn now every chain lies broken and finally we're free my soul cries out holy holy my heart is lost in your beauty oh. 
for coming this morning. We look forward to seeing you back next week. Busy morning. Thanks for doing all that. <laughs> Speed sounded really good. <laughs>